Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Herfcast. I am Brian, your host, and this episode I've got two guests. Um, there's a Perdomo event at the Golden Leaf in Hobart, so I asked John if I could bring my equipment and uh, talk to Nick Perdomo while I was there, and he said yes, so I did. So I got to talk to Nick Perdomo for a little while, and then after that, uh, Ron Kittle was hanging out, and I got to have a conversation with Ron Kittle as well. So hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. Um, enjoy. Also, don't mind all the background noise and door chimes and all that stuff. We were in the lounge. I tried uh, muting as much as I could, but uh, you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. I've got uh, Nick Perdomo here with me. Uh, he's doing an event at the Golden Leaf in Chesterton, or no, not Chesterton, um, Hobart, Hobart, Indiana. Chesterton is the new location that I haven't been to yet because I'm a slacker. Um, but anyway, right now I'm smoking a uh, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Maduro, which is the first time that I've seen those. I'm about two-thirds of the way done with it. I'm enjoying it. Uh as of right now, I think that's going to be the box purchase of the night. Uh, but I did see you have a, a Petit Corona Limited Reserve. Uh, is that Cameroon? Yeah, that's Cameroon. That's one of our oldest. Thanks for having me, by the way, oh, too. absolutely. Um, thanks thanks for doing it. Thanks for taking oh. the time out uh, during your event to uh, sit down and bullshit. My pleasure. Um, so I'm pretty interested in that uh, Petit Corona. Uh, you said that's one of your oldest? It's one of our oldest, yeah. It's a brand we've had out for about 18 years, and uh, it's just limited. It's small wrappers. The wrappers are, are very well-aged, very old, to be honest with you, and it, uh, it does extremely well. It's it's almost like a seasonal release that we do. It comes in a box of 10, and the uh, tent that you're smoking right now, the Maduro had won actually Cigar of the Year and the Cigar Authority and Tobacco Business Daily, and we're up for a nomination at Cigar Journal. We feel real good. Maybe it'll win it there. It'll be the first time ever in the history of a cigar winning cigar of the year three times in a row. So we're really proud of it. Oh, right on. Uh, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Now, uh, I did have a question about uh, you have the 20th anniversary, and this is the 10th anniversary. Um, again, like this is the this is the first time I've seen the 10th anniversary. Is uh, what, what are the anniversaries of? Well, it was initially the, the 10th anniversary line had a Maduro and a Sun Grown and one a Connecticut wrap we called Champagne. And then what we did is we kept it because the lot numbers that we used on that blend, we just kept it as 10th anniversary. And what happened was we ended up changing it about 11 years ago because we've been in business for 29 years. And we had a Champagne Noir and a, uh, a Champagne Sun Grown. And uh, two and a half years ago, I wanted to change the blend. That brand had been out for about nine years, doing well. But I had some great tobaccos from up in Jalapa Valley that I wanted to blend with. So we came out with a new blue label 10th anniversary that we were just talking about previously, the new 10th anniversary Sun Grown. It really goes into the umbrella of the 10th anniversary line, which started out with Champagne, which is our biggest seller. The 20th was to celebrate our 20th. That brand's been out nine years, and we just haven't changed the name because everybody knows it by 20th anniversary. So we're blessed. Our lines stay, you know, in existence for a long time. We don't really throw things across the wall and and try to change cigars every year for whatever reason people do that. It's it's about longevity. You know, when we come out with a brand, we really strategize, and we want the brand to be out for a while. That's why we have brands like Perdomo Habano, 22 years, Lot 23, 21 years, 
Perdomo Fresco, 20 years. Nick Sticks, 26 years. Champagne, 21 years, you know, and and we in the longevity, we're humbled by, you know, our customers really enjoy our cigars and we're very appreciative about it. Yeah, that's uh, my now my old boss, uh, since I'm switching positions at the mill. Uh, he's a big fan of the Perdomo stuff. Uh, and that's, you know, me and him would talk cigars every once in a while. And uh, I knew, like, for the most part, all he would smoke is Perdomo's, at least that he would tell me about. God bless him. Um, great guy. Great boss. Uh me and him never had any problems and you know being a being a a a union employee getting along with management you know that's uh depending on who you talk to that could be frowned upon but i don't give a shit uh a good guy's a good guy absolutely um but i would i would bring him a cigar every once in a while here you know try this out try that out and uh that's pretty cool uh through through the years he's always stuck with the perdomos so um well thank him for me Oh yeah, but uh, I, I'll hopefully I see him again. Um, but uh, yeah, my buddy, I he got for uh, my wedding, he got me a Bluetooth speaker that's fashioned out of a uh, the twentieth anniversary box. So I've got oh, nice. I've got that in my studio. Um, but yeah, so you said twenty nine years. We've been in business 29 years. We're going to celebrate our 30th in August of next year, and uh, we're going to have a, a new Perdomo 30th anniversary for that. We've been working on that already, and uh, we should have it out. We should start production on it in about another four months. So along the lines of the, you know, you're talking about the longevity of your brands and whatnot. Like after, after 30 years, you only have, uh, you know, a handful of facings. Now, how do you look at other companies that every year they're coming out with two, three more facings, uh, different blends and whatnot, you know, kind of like what you said, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. I I quite honestly don't know how they do it. Maybe I'm not smart enough, but it takes me a long time to come up with a blend and we really thoroughly look at it. And there's a couple things we look at. We look at what do you like? Not necessarily what we like or what our consumers like first sizes, and then we have different lot numbers of our farms. You know, we grow 2,100 acres of land in Nicaragua, one of the largest growers in the world. And But every region has a different flavor characteristics, even on its own region. So in other words, in Alapa Valley, we can come up with numerous combinations of different types of tobaccos. You can literally be five feet down close to a riverbed. The tobacco is going to taste totally different than me being upstream just five to six feet away because you're going to have water erosion underneath the grounds from you because of the river. So if I keep interchanging that tobacco and say it's from, from Jalapa, the cigars are going to taste different. You ever smoke a cigar and you love it. The next one you smoke, you don't love it so much. Oh yeah, It's because the blending and the dosage control has to be so supreme. And we're really into that. My father taught me that. And, um, you know, it makes it difficult, but I think our consistency is the reason we've had such longevity. But I'll tell you the truth. It takes me about two years to come up with a blend. And then we got to go with our tasting panel and really come to a consensus. And even we've, we've done things where we've actually um, had people actually try the cigars that are consumers or ours or our sales team because we want to make sure that, that people really enjoy the cigars. And then we have to come to a consensus. And say, this is a cigar we really like. And that takes a long time for us to do it because you have to be so almost hyper-focused to make sure that you're going to have the production. Then you got to think, hey, how many cigars am I going to make this year? How much tobacco, fillers, binders, and wrappers am I going to be able to, to continue doing this? And do I have the lot numbers enough for every year when I grow tobacco that I'll be able to do it? You know what I'm saying? So with, with the differences being 
that uh, that numerous, like you're saying, five, six feet down the river, it's going to taste completely different. How do you guys go about, like, you know, keeping it uh, the same flavor profile? Like, do you, do you, I, I can't imagine that you're testing, you're, you're smoking no, every other plant. No, what, along no, the river. what we do is we actually have the, the farms divided in lot numbers. So, for example, in Esteli, we have a farm named after my daughter, Natalie, and it's actually in a crater of a volcano. Most people would, would do a soil analysis and do one set of, of, uh, of fertilizers, but we actually have 67 different formulas, and they're actually done topically by Google, and we actually have them separated by, by the different lot numbers. So that particular farm has 66 different types of fertilizers. So if we pick a light tobacco from lot 13 and we pick a medium tobacco, in, let's say in the Condega Valley from lot 1 and a, and a binder from the Jalapa Valley in lot 63, for example, we will pick those every year from those from the same lot numbers, and that's been our our secret of, of really having consistency. Where most people buy tobacco from regions and so on, we can we can really have a lot of consistency in our blends by doing that. You know. Yeah. So now, year to year, how much do those crops change? Simply, almost nil. And the yeah. reason is, is because we apply our own, you know, organic matter into the grounds. And we have, the big secret with us is we allow our grounds to lay fallow. So the, t- the farms are only used for about 66 to 70 days in the whole year. A lot of people grow cover crop and stuff. And when you do that, you take nutrients out. Now, I'm not in the business to sell beans and, and, and things like that. My business is to satisfy our consumers with our tobacco. When you allow grounds to lay fallow like we do, you're going to have a much more consistent product. Um, sometimes things become better. It depends on the seed varieties we use. And, you know, what we're looking at now, for example, in the next 10 years, what we're looking at is we're looking for more consistency of heavier type of tobaccos, more and more flavors. You know what I mean? Because the consumers are telling us they want more rich tobaccos and richer tobaccos and richer tobaccos. And I think our company's doing a great job of doing it. Yeah. So uh, where, where are you staying these days? Are you... Well, I live, I live in Miami and I live in Esteli, Nicaragua, and I commute between both of them. But, you know, it's nice. I've been traveling around the country a lot this year. And I did even last year during COVID to the, to the states who were free. Thank God I've been, been perfectly fine. And uh, business has been booming because more people are smoking now than ever. It's, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful year. Last year was a great year in business. And this one, we're up almost 36%. It's been absolutely nuts. And we never stopped. We never stopped in the production. We never stopped with our sales team, whether it be here in the States or the 72 countries that carry our cigars. So we've been blessed with that. So how often are you traveling back and forth from Miami to Esteli? I'm usually there every six weeks. I used to be there every four weeks because of the summer months, because of the country opening. I've been traveling all over. You know, I was just recently in Ohio. I was in Pennsylvania. I was in Georgia. I was in through South Florida and, you know, now I'm here in, in, in the Chicagoland area and in Indiana and Wisconsin. It's nice to be able to travel next month. I'm in, I'm in Tennessee. I'm, I'm in the Nashville and Memphis area. And it's uh, great to see our customers again. Where's, uh, where's your favorite region to travel to in the States? I like them all because, you know, our consumers smoke, smoke in every region I go to. Yeah. So it's, it's a blessing. I, I, I enjoy it. All. I just don't like to go up to the, to the north when it's ice cold but uh yeah. you know outside of that yeah i'm uh, kind of a warm body being from miami and nicaragua you oh know, for so. sure and my family's from cuba so you know we like warm weather but uh 
it's nice to be everywhere around the country. And, and, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it really is. That's especially if you could plan, you know, when you're going to go up north to the cold regions. Yeah, of and, course. You know. Yeah, what a blessing, I think. You know, people come over, you know, I'm doing an event and people are happy to see and nobody says I'm going to, you know, I'm getting divorced today and I'm going to get screwed. I need a box of cigars. Everybody's happy to see you. So, <laughs> so I'm pro- I, I think I got a great job. Yeah. I love it. So, um, now you mentioned you, you learned some from your dad. Uh, I learned a lot from my dad. How, how long was your dad in the business before? My dad was the a general manager of the HM in fact, which is the biggest production facility at the time in the world. Yeah. And uh, that was in Havana, Cuba. And his direct competitor was my grandfather, Silvio. And my grandfather, Silvio bro- Silvio's brother, was actually the minister of tobacco in Cuba for 46 years. So I had a long lineage. And I was really blessed. I got help from my family. And my dad worked for the company for 11 years prior to his passing. But... He was an incredible businessman and tobacco man. So I was blessed to be able to learn under the wings of my dad. So was it friendly competition between your dad and his brother or was or it? A- the father, um, they loved each other, but I don't think it was friendly because they wanted to duke it out and beat each other. Because yeah. They both had pride and passion in what they did. And I think they, they instilled a lot of that in me. And, you know, at my stage in my career, the only thing I care about is that our consumers are happy and our retailers are happy. And, uh, Thank God. Look, I'm a kid who started out of a garage in 1992. They were one of the largest cigar manufacturers in the world. And I really got to thank everybody in the audience for that. Yeah. How many more stops do you have before you can take some uh, some time off and relax? I'm not going to take any time off to the latter part of November because my daughter, Natalie, is pregnant. and I'm going to have my first grandchild. So uh, I think I'll take some time off a little bit in November. I'm not one to take much time off. I live in Miami. I feel like I'm on vacation all the time. And I really enjoy working. I love it. Yeah. Look, a lot of my, you know, our, our accounting people say, I don't know why you, you keep traveling so much. I love it because I love seeing all you guys. You know, that's really the truth. So I'm also blessed. My, my, my son, who's going to be in the fourth generation of Cigar Me, you know, he's our director of sales. He does a phenomenal job. He's been with the company for several years. And I got a great team, not only in Miami, but all our sales team around the around the United States and, and all our just distribution teams around the world. So we're really blessed. Right on. Congratulations on the, the grandkids. Thank you. My first granddaughter, her name will be Stella. So I'm happy about yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, as far as relaxation goes, uh, what do you do when you're not traveling to do different events and well, whatnot? I, I, uh, I enjoy being around my family, to be honest. I'm, I'm real family orientated being around my friends and, uh, I'm lucky I live on the beach, so I get to walk on the beach. That's really relaxing for me. I like to work out. But really, the family is, is, is the greatest thing. I mean, I literally, we're with, we're with our family members every day because of work. But I usually see my kids even in the evenings three to four times a week. So I've been blessed to do that. But we're, the Perdomos are very tight-knit. Right on. Yeah. So uh, any, any golf or cards or anything like that? Um, I'm not much of a golfer because I'm not good enough to get mad, and I really don't have the time to play. Uh, I like cars. I like the race cars. I've been to numerous race schools. Uh, my friend Tom Tagley up here, I blessed enough to be in Juliet uh, a couple years ago and got to go racing with him on, on a track that he was at up here. But that's probably one of my biggest hobbies. I like the boat, too. You know, I like boating very much. But really the family and is, is, uh, is what – brings joy to me and i'm looking forward to my first grandchild yeah so what's the what, what's your favorite car that you've gotten to drive or race i like the new corvette c8 i just bought i've really yeah. i've really enjoyed that very hard car to get i got lucky i was in a, a cigar shop up in ohio and i met a guy who 
owned a dealership, and he ended up getting me the car. I actually built it at the cigar store on his laptop. And people have been waiting two years for this car, and I got the car in less than three weeks. Exactly built to the way I wanted it, and I've been really enjoying that car. And, you know, I got a lot of fast cars, but that's probably my favorite. Yeah, you can't complain about that. No, no. it's a great car. That's, uh, you know, seeing – I'm not sure if it's the same Corvette or not, but I've seen a couple on the road that are just – they just look amazing. Yeah, they look like spaceships. Yeah. Almost. That's the one, the C8. Yeah, yeah that's just gorgeous. Yeah. So what, what color is yours? I got it in torch red. Yeah? Yeah, it looks great. Nice. I'm a, I like red with sports cars. I think that, that goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, how many more stops do you have until – November, do you have it all planned out? Or? Oh, yeah, I got it all planned. My, my calendar's planned out throughout the year. And then, you know, next year we, we go back to factory tours in Nicaragua in February and March. And, and then I start my calendar again where I, I just I travel every single month. And uh, I really enjoy it. Not only do I travel, but my son travels. Ralph Valdez, our, our, our sales manager, travels. Nelson Cuba, who's our head of operations, travels. And uh, Arthur Kemp, our VP, travels. There, there's a lot of us, not including our 18 salesmen, are consistently on the road. And we try to go out there and visit as much as we can so we can see our consumers and retailers and, and, uh, and work together with our sales team. So this week I'm working with Peter Worth who represents us in, in the state of Illinois and, and Indiana and, uh, and Minnesota and Wisconsin. And we've had a really great week. We've had packed events every night, and it's been great to see, you know, five or six stores every day and then events every night. We started since Monday, so we've been super busy. Right on. So, um, I had I had something, but I lost it. Uh, oh, the factory tours. Yes. Um, so – are the I'm assuming the factory tours are seasonal, or yeah, it? they're only they're only in the months usually from February through March, and uh, we pack them, and it's a great thing. But it's all about education, you know. So since we're vertically integrated, we can show the consumer and the retailer every single step that it takes to make a Perdomo cigar. It's a lot of fun for me. I've been doing it since 2002. So we had to, last year because of COVID was the first year we had to skip it. You can imagine it's been 19 years we've been doing it. It's the first one we uh, we've had to we've had to cancel, but we're going to be up and running again in 2022. Nicaragua's wide open. So how long is the uh, factory tour? The factory tour is three days. Okay. So uh, basically, you come in on Saturday and you leave on Wednesday, or you come in on Tuesday and leave on Saturday, and one is a travel day. So uh, to me, it brings a lot of joy to show our pride and our passion on on what makes Perdomo unique and different. It's something I would definitely love to do. Oh, we'd love um, to have you. I'm I'm no expert by any means uh, with with cigars. I I love smoking them. Uh, I I know what I like. I uh, one one thing that uh, kind of fascinated me a bit was uh, a few years ago Fred Rui came through when he was uh, when he had Nomad, and he did a uh, it was called Hacking the Blend, and it was you smoked each. You know, you you smoke the binder. You know, just the binder, just the wrapper, just the filler, and you kind of learned what different flavors you got from each of them, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I think that I, I would definitely get. Well, a I think kick when out you come down to Nicaragua and we show you what a real tasting is, yeah, you'll uh, enjoy it. Yeah, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah because I, what what you're supposed to do when you taste, you're supposed to intertwine all the tobaccos, and you come up with a blend so you can be able to do it. When we test smoke tobaccos in a separate form, is to see their combustibility. We're going to see their aromas, and we're going to see how they, they really burn and perform. But to smoke singular tobaccos like that, you're really not going to get much out of it. Once you 
you blend them in. You come up with a blend. That's how you taste. We even blindfold the people so they can't see what they're smoking. Yeah. And really what we do is when we smoke cigars, we want to taste them, but we do almost everything visually by eyesight. And this kind of takes it away from and people seem to love it. And that's the way we do it in real life when we're uh, when we're tasting cigars out to market that we're going we're going to produce. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, that's one thing I, I you know, I, I very rarely review cigars, but when I do, I, I would rather not know what it is when I do review it. Um, and that's on one of the forums that I'm on, CigarGeeks.com, every month. Uh, somebody sponsors uh, a geek critique is what it's called and whenever I sponsor like you know it's just uh, you know and anybody could sponsor it. it's just you know send five cigars out to five different guys and you know you you review it for every month and whenever I do it I always do it blind I take the bands off you know no markings nothing you know because I want to see what uh, what people think of it without knowing what it is ahead of time, because you you have that skewed point of view. If somebody is, you know, if they know that they're getting a you know, Padron nineteen twenty six or something, they have that preconceived notion of what that cigar is. Or if you give them a chillin' moose, uh, what a chillin' moose, which is a budget, you know, not not very good, uh, but you know, they have that preconceived notion. Um, so yeah, whenever whenever I want anybody to, whenever I want to know the honest, the honest uh, opinion of it, I definitely always do it blind. So and that's those are my favorite reviews to do is not knowing anything about it beforehand. And but if you can't see it, it's even more special. And the way oh, you sure. do it is you work together with somebody, where you get the cigars, you actually blindfold yourself, he cuts them, pre-cuts them, and then and then you taste them, and then Dorn segments where you're going to change cigars you just drink coffee with an alkaline like cream to clean your palate and try them again and that way you'll i think you'll be shocked because sometimes people say well it's got a connecticut ship shade wrapper must be light not really because the wrapper produces about 10 percent of the flavor not as much as people think but it's actually astronomical when you figure out it's just one thin leaf when you stretch it's about an onion skin yeah is the way it looks like so I can make a cigar that'll blow your head off with a Connecticut Shade wrapper, and I can make a Maduro wrap cigar that's that's quite light and mild. But yeah. everybody looks at the dress. It's like looking at a woman with a yellow dress. You don't know if she's if what she could perform, you know, with you. <laughs> you know what I mean, it doesn't mean because she has a black dress, she's going to be, yeah. you know, nicer or whatever. But you know, it's uh, it's the same thing with cigars. It's it's the aesthetics are, are not the most important part. It's, you know, it's really the taste and what you like. And everybody likes something different. So that's the reason why all our cigars have three different wrappers. I think they're basically the three best cuts in meat. To me, it's like filet, you know, bone-in ribeye and a porterhouse. And that, to me, that's well-aged Connecticut shade wrappers grown in Ecuador or Habano wrappers grown in Nicaragua, whether it be sun-grown or our darker variety of Maduro. To me, those are the three best cuts of beef, and they're going to be the three best things that are going to really accent and work harmoniously with our fillers and binders that we grow in our three most fertile regions in Nicaragua. So how often are you passing up a blend? Like, uh, Well, how, how often are you presented with a new blend or trying a new blend yourself, and how often do those get passed on? Well, that's a tough question because lately we've been hitting on all cylinders. When we came out with the blend for, for Sun Grown and Maduro, um, it was kind of quick, and within seven months, we came up to a consensus. We were tweaking it, you know, because sometimes when you start, you go, you know what, I little, I want a little more sweetness. Well, I know there's a, a really nice lot number up in up in Jalapa Valley. It's got like this reddish loamy clay, 
has a lot of minerals. And when you smell this tobacco, it almost smells like honey wheat bread, believe it or not. So I know how to turn the faucet on when we want a little more sweetness, we want a little more power, some of our more powerful type grounds in the, in the Esteli Valley. So you kind of coincide. It's almost like cooking. I need a little more salt, a little more pepper, I need a little more garlic, maybe a little more basil for the sauce. But when you concentrate, regardless of whether it's a small cigar or a big ring gauge cigar, they should all taste uniform. And the way you do that is you add a little more pinch of salt, a little bit, because every blend, even though they're going to be identical in that series that you're going to make, for example, 10th anniversary sun grown, there's sometimes where you have a little more strength tobacco, for example, on a 60 ring gauge versus a 54 ring gauge. But if you, if you smoke them, you'll see they taste consistent. I think there's nothing worse outside of a bad constructed cigar. A cigar doesn't draw. It's a cigar that you love the flavor, and then you smoke the next one, and it doesn't taste the same. Yeah, That's got to be very frustrating to the consumer, and we work really hard. So our consumers, regardless of the blend Perdomo makes, they enjoy it each and every time. Yeah. I blanked again. A lot of information a lot of times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where you're coming out. And, you know. I enjoy, like I said, almost three decades, third generation cigar manufacturer. Really got a lot of tools, not just from my family, but, you know, Aristides Garcia, 77 years in the cigar industry, 91 years old. I mean, Sarah Gonzalez, head of our factory, you know, has been making cigars since before I was born, since 1962, worked at H-Up. And, you know, I mean, I've been blessed. I really have a lot of, you know, great workers and really the greatest asset to Perdomo is certainly not Nick Perdomo. It's it's our workforce and you know the average worker's been with us for almost 21 years now on average we've had almost 700 people retire from the company nice and i've been proud of that you know what i mean and we treat our workers like family and uh, to me they are like family even though we have a lot of them but you know i care about them and that's how it should be you know it, yeah it should be and it's sad that you know it's 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 you know workers against management we should be a team that's and, uh, exactly, and that's the way we are. And I think a lot of times we have to look at our attitudes on on stuff like that. But I just believe if you treat a worker right, they're going to give you a hundred percent. If you don't treat them right, they're and I don't want I don't want anybody to fear me. I want them to respect me, and I prefer them to like me, of course. But I want them to give me a hundred percent. I give them a hundred percent because I lead from example. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like having a tough time getting workers. I'm out there emptying containers. You know, I think the workforce appreciates that. But I do it because I've done it before, you know. Has, has that been, uh, has that hit you guys hard? Well, in the United States with labor, of course, when you got, uh, you know, Joe Biden giving everybody our money for, <laughs> for months on end for free to not work and incentivize people instead of working to not work, it makes it tough for, you know, for businesses to, 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 to grow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, it, it's so hard to get workers right now. And, uh it's really sad what's happened in the last eight to nine months with the country. And yeah. today, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but, uh, you know, seeing 12 of our Marines die today uh, was really, really terrible. Yeah. Uh, really sad. And being a former military man, that, that just pisses me off. That's had to happen. Shouldn't, you know what I mean? So former military, what... Uh which uh, which branch? I was in the United States Navy for five years. Okay. Yeah, in the eighties, so uh, probably before you were born. But you know, uh, when I, were you I, born? I was, I was born in eighty. So uh, that's when I went in. Yeah. So you were a little rut when I went in. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I think, uh, so you were probably out before my uncle was in. But my uncle was uh, a CB. Okay. And he was over in Desert Storm and whatnot with the CBs and. Uh, you know, I've talked to him a little bit about that and, you know, like his mainly 
construction side of things sure. and whatnot. But uh, but the eighties were a good year to be in the military because we had President Reagan. He he fortified us because we had had Carter before and he had decimated the military. So it was a nice time to be in the military, and I enjoyed serving my country. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. So, um, now you mentioned uh, making a cigar is kind of like cooking. Do you do much cooking? I don't know how to cook at all. No. I know how to eat. <laughs> I know how to eat and I know how to make cigars. But cooking, I don't. But I almost juxtapose blending to cooking. Even though I don't cook, I do I know how to blend tobacco because I was really well trained. You know, I was, like I said, from my father. My uncle was one of the main buyers for Cuba tobacco, worked for us for 13 years. Unfortunately, he just passed away. But I, you know, I had a lot of tutelage from my family, which was really a blessing. So, um, as far as Cuban cigars go, uh, do you have favorites in that regard uh, i really don't like cuban cigars but you know smoking subjective if you like yeah. it that's great i just um i'm just not a fan forget the construction the poor burns lack of fertilization yeah. you know and lack of fermentation lack of curing lack of aging and paying a ridiculous price it's kind of funny when we go to our trade shows all the cubans come over and always come to our booths to ask for cigars and ask for trades and i never want the trades because i'm just not going to fight for a cigar and trying to get it to draw and trying to get it to burn well. And uh, this is what happens you have communism. And, you know, people are extremely underpaid and, you know, making $20 a month and cigars costing 30 and $40, which should cost 50 cents. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's that's personal. Smoking that's, is subjective. You know, it's what you like. I, um, I I'm just not it, a fan. I always find it comical when, you know, somebody mentions cigars like, oh, what do you, oh, I only smoke Cubans. And I, I've said it plenty of times. Oh, I I only smoke Cubans. Oh well, I'm sorry. You know, uh, there's there's just so much, so much great stuff out there. Oh yeah, you know, and, and, and like I said, taste is subjective. Some people like liver and onions. I like bone and ribeye. But you know, yeah. I went to a restaurant up here in Chicago four years ago, famous for their bone and ribeyes. And uh, the guy said, "I have a special. I got liver and onions, and everybody ordered liver and onions except me." So yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> rather eat my arm. But you know, yeah. some people like look. You know, so. Same thing. If a guy likes a Cuban cigar, God bless him. It's, oh, just, yeah. it's just not me. It's just um, I like a lot more flavor. I'm a big fan of Nicaraguan tobacco. I think it's by far the best tobacco in the world. And uh, it's because it's all volcanic grounds, very low lead, virtually no lead, and really complex territories that are 100 miles apart. Yeah. You know, the Jalapa Valley is 120 miles north of us. The Condegalet Valley is, you know, 67 miles to the north of us. And then we have Esteli. Ground components are totally different in each one. Each one of them have, have a different um, altitude that makes a huge difference. Some like Kundega has a lot of cloud cover, even though the grounds are really heavy. That cloud cover produces thinner type tobaccos, which are great for binders and wrappers, but also to have a real powerful flavor too. And uh, one of the fun fun things for, for for our company is is the curing process, the fermentation and the aging process, and make sure these tobaccos at their peak of flavor and. You know, being there since 1995, I think we've, we've got a good grasp of, of, of what we're doing in Nicaragua. Oh, for sure. So are there any um, any other comp like boutique brands or anything that you're a fan of? Or uh, I don't, you know, it's it's funny. You're always, you're, you're so busy working. I don't know many of them. Um, you know, I was a boutique guy. I started to have a garage, but I made every cigar. A lot of these boutique brands are guys that come to see us and try to buy our 
stuff we can't sell or outdated production. Yeah, like put a, out a, a limited more, more of a rebrand. Yeah, all of a sudden's a rebrand, it's a limited edition, and they're charging people fifteen dollars, yeah, twenty dollars for a cigar that they bought from some factory for two bucks. I find that disingenuous. But I'm a capitalist. Anybody wants to start, that's great. I met a, a gentleman last night who asked me, you know, how do I start? You know, I really want to start a cigar brand and. I spent an hour with him, you know, just trying to tell him I really want to help. I want everybody to do well. You know, I never never root for, for somebody to do bad or yeah. something like that. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a big believer in God. And I just think that if you're good and you do the right thing, the right thing comes back. It's, you know, it's basically the golden rule. So um, I just don't know many of these boutique brands. I see them, you know, I visit stores. But, you know, you're so unfocused on making sure, you know, your merchandising as well. Your products look good. The retailers are ordering at the right time to have in-stock position. And I got a tough enough job just, just keeping up with, with our production and making sure all our cigars are well-aged before they get put in boxes. And we're known for our construction, too, so in our, in our flavor and our packaging and, and our merchandising. And that's a, that's a job in itself amongst, you know, trying to manage over 5,032 people between the United States and, and Nicaragua and, and around the world. So sometimes it's tough, but I do smoke everybody's cigars. And I think it's important to a lot of people, you know, a lot of manufacturers say, I only smoke my cigar. No, I smoke everybody's cigars. Yeah. There's some I like and some I don't like. But again, you know, I could tell when a cigar is not fermented well. I can tell when a cigar hasn't been aged after it was made. And, of course, I can tell just by smoking if a cigar is constructed well. So those are pet peeves. And sometimes I don't like them. And I just hope because of the demand today that people don't cut corners because there's several of us that don't. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's important not to. So now, I, I know, uh, like when when anybody asks me what's your favorite cigar, it's like, well, it it, it depends on the mood. You know, there's there's a lot of factors that go into that. Sorry. Um, oh no worries. So, uh, do you have a favorite Perdomo that that you have, or is it pretty much just uh, you know what you're in the mood for? It depends what I'm I'm in the mood for. You know, there's all different types and times that you, you enjoy things. You know, whether I'm drinking coffee or I'm drinking a single malt scotch or drinking a bourbon or drinking a big wine or a tequila. It depends. You know what I mean? It, it's what my mood. A lot of times I smoke a Maduro cigar in the morning, first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee. I think it's great. A lot of times I'll end up with a champagne in the evening after having a coffee, too, you yeah. know, before I take a shower and go to bed. So um, it just depends on my mood. I go into into swings you know i'm on a big 20th anniversary sun-grown swing and a maduro swing right now and i'm i'm going back and forth like a volley in a ping pong game between yeah. those two and i'm enjoying those yeah so what do you what do you like to uh pair uh between the i'm, I'm a big single malt scotch guy so i drink a lot of I, I i enjoy scotches with a lot of the scars when i blend a lot of times i'm i'm blending for about five different things bourbons which i'm a fan of good single malt scotches and there's different there's different alcohol grades too so I have to look at that on how I'm going to volley back and forth to those. So, in other words, when I'm pairing a cigar to, to a single malt scotch, I have to be able to taste that scotch thoroughly, the way the blender decide that scotch to be and aging the way that scotch be. So the cigar doesn't overpower it, but the same token, I don't want the scotch to overpower the cigar. So hence why we have different blends for that. And it could go the same thing with bourbons. I'm big into big red cabs, really powerful red wines. And I think people that are looking for flavor really like Perdomo because, you know, being in Nicaragua, we produce a lot of big flavored cigars, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think that'll be about it. I, I should probably let you get back to uh, talking to everybody else. Well, I here. appreciate you yeah. having me. I appreciate you taking the time. I enjoyed out it, man. Thanks so much. Yep, thank you. Thank you.
Hey, so instead of just going straight from Nick to Ron, I decided to throw this in there to let you know that we were switching over. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation with Nick, and here's the conversation with Ron. All right, so uh, now I have another guest with me here at um, the Golden Leaf in Hobart. We have, let's see, I believe it was 1983... American League Rookie of the Year, Ron Kittle. Yep. So thanks for sitting down and bullshitting for I a couple of minutes. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, great I atmosphere, having a cigar, sitting down and talking. Yeah, that's uh, all good. And I I can't start it any other way. But for one, uh, your career was a little bit before my time. Um, I was born in '80, so. Um, <laughs> but like I said, 1983 American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, I am. A lifelong Cubs fan, unfortunately, for the most part. That's so. all right. My favorite team is the one that has their logo on my paycheck. Yeah, yeah. I can't so disagree with that uh, at all. Hobart uh, Booger Pickers, that's yeah. my favorite team. <laughs> so uh, I don't know much about you. Um, but one thing that I do know from briefly meeting you in the past is that you do some pretty amazing charity work been doing uh, charity work for over 30 years yeah uh golf tournaments breakfast motorcycle rides and if you want jerry reinsdorf who probably smokes 10 to 15 cigars a day uh to come to a charity event you have a cigar event so nick was kind enough to uh, make special bands up with jerry reinsdorf with the uh, world series trophies and uh nba bulls trophies on the cigar band oh nice so I bought as many as you can possibly buy, and they're all the champagnes. Yeah. And uh, he loves them and uh, is, is a good event. Right on. So uh, I'm I'm pretty interested to hear about the charity work. Um, I, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'm pretty sure it was children. Uh, and you, you do a lot of, uh, like, bats and bat benches and yeah I, I make custom sports art so are benches. you are you making that yourself yeah i make them all myself that's uh, that's pretty amazing I, I always tell everybody there's nothing i can't make uh just give me if i see something uh, i can make it and i can make it better you know and one of the, what's unique about it's called ronkittle.com is my website you can see things on there that i make uh i get commissioned to make gifts for retiring players in baseball, NBA, anything else. Uh, and if I don't like you and they ask me to make something, I don't make it. I don't care how much money you got. Uh, if you're an asshole, uh, you ain't getting made by Ron Kittle. I could understand that. That's that's how I operate. Uh, I act the same now as I did when I was 18 years old and Gary uh, had a lot of fun. So the charity, uh, been doing it plus 30 plus years. We raised over $3 million plus. That's amazing. Doesn't seem like a large number, but uh, I write the letters. Lick the stamps, make the phone calls. Yeah. Create a friendship with a lot of people into it. And uh, so the last four years, I've had cigar events. You know, Ron Kittle Cigar Social is what we called it. So we honored Jim Tomey one year. Uh, last year we were, uh, honored, or two years ago, Harold Baines going into the Hall of Fame. So yeah. I made special cigar bands up for him. And it's, like I said, it's uh, I don't invite a lot of people to my events because the tickets are 500 to to $1,000 a piece. Uh, I don't even invite some of my friends because I don't want them to go there and drink all the time and get drunk and get rowdy. <laughs> so you gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta understand that part of it. I know about it. You know, they're good people. Uh, but I do 
breakfast clubs, motorcycle rides. I do all kind of little things that other people can get involved at a lesser value. So what what are the charities for specifically? Well, I've been given to Northwestern Memorial Hospital, uh, Children's Children's Hospital, University of Chicago Hospital, Comer. Uh, My charities... Third year, we were. I was the first person to donate for the blood core. Uh, you know, where you can go in there and get blood core for transfusions and all that from oh, the medical okay. board. I put the first ten thousand dollars into it in '89. Uh, yeah. Uh, now it's a million, multi-million dollar business. Uh, so I was there from the ground up, uh, and you make a lot of good friends. Oh, I'm sure. You know, every, there's a, there's nine million great causes to raise money for. I just want to go out there and. Uh, Give something back to the community for, you know, being loyal to me, being nice. Uh, my gift bag that you get at my events is the nicest gift bags that you're going to get anywhere. Yeah. And everybody knows that. So they fight to get in. So if I have 100 tickets to sell, I sell it within three days. Yeah. You know, they're sold out. Uh, I believe in good food, good friends, and uh, good cigars. And Nick, you know, I, I just met Nick years ago. And he's been so helpful for me. He gives me a better deal than he does all the people who own cigar shops. And they get mad. They said, I buy more than that. And I said, but Nick's got a great giving heart. You know, that's why I come over here today. I drove two and a half hours to get here today to say hi to him, give him a hug, and uh, have one of the cigars. Yeah. So I, I never knew you were from Gary. Yeah, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Well, I mean, I never knew a lot of stuff about you. Yeah, but... that's all right. You're young. Yeah. But uh, so Gary, Indiana... Uh, ended up playing for the Sox. So what, was that your team when you were growing up? or You know, uh, I signed out of high school out of a tryout camp with the Dodgers. So I played, uh, go to spring train, and I started my season. Opening day, I hit a double. Uh, next hitter, Mike Sosha, hits a single. I scored, and the catcher catches the ball off balance and hits me underneath the neck, and he breaks my neck and paralyzes me at home plate. First game, first at bat. No shit. So I I played, I was hurt for a couple months, and I played a little bit that year because my neck never hurt me. Everything else did. And uh, at the end of the year, I come in here, I had three crushed vertebrae and cracked spinal cord. Wow. So I was out of the game for a couple years and uh, got a second chance at another trial camp. So I signed out of two trial camps. And anytime you get an opportunity to do that, you got to be really good. Yeah. Or you got to have your tools with you. And uh, I was very fortunate. You know, to be strong, I was an iron worker. Yeah. I still do a lot of work, and uh, but I'm dedicated for my charity. You know, I get to go to a lot of places around the world and see a lot of things and do a lot of things. Yeah, and it's all fun. So, uh, are are you traveling a lot of the time, or do you stay home most of the time? Well, COVID kind of put a stink on everybody. Yeah, uh, I was traveling all over the world. I do uh, motivational speaking, business speaking for Fortune 500 companies. And, okay, you know. But I work for the White Sox as an ambassador. What does that mean? It means I'll pick up peanut shells if Jerry Reinsdorf wants me to pick up peanut shells. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I go to people who are in hospice and they're going to die. And I, I go in there, uh, visit with them for a couple hours. And, you know, really the last three times I did that, that person died the next day. And I, everybody said, well, don't come visit me. <laughs> but uh, they're big Sox fans, and they're very grateful. That's, you know, I, I kind of tell them, I said, you know, just because you got dealt a dad a bad card, and you're not going to be around, you know, it affects everybody: your family, your siblings, your kids, your wife, and uh, it's very, it's a tough job. Yeah, I mean, you just can't get anybody to come in here and do it. I go in there with uh, sarcastic compassion. 
So I joke with them. You yeah. know, like one guy, he, I, I saw him, he got shot. Uh, he was paralyzed for 60 cents out of the Navy. And I walked in and I told him, uh, I go, Jesus, you look like shit. And he spit out his oxygen thing. And his mom and his siblings said, it's the first time he's laughed in two years. Yeah. You know, you got to have fun in life. That's, uh, but I, it, it's in my heart. I, I think that's something a lot of people don't think about a lot of the time is uh, when, when someone's in that situation, uh, nobody wants to joke around. Nobody wants, you know, everybody's serious and just trying to, you know, uh, act right. I guess. Yeah. But, uh, well, nobody knows. Nobody, everybody handles death a little bit differently. But that's when, when somebody comes in and has fun, uh, instead of being morose or, uh, just down, you know, that's, I, I, you know, that's got to make, uh, you know, one of the, maybe not the best day of their life, but, you know, it makes them live again. It it does. At least. I mean, uh, and if I went in there differently, it wouldn't be as effective. Yeah. You know, so these people who have passed, uh, I still keep in touch with their wives. I keep in touch with their siblings, you know, and they help my charities out. So they know where these monies are going to. Yeah. You know, when you donate three million, three million dollars plus and you're dropping a check off at the hospital for 40,000, 60,000. I mean, that's a pretty good hit. Yeah. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day, I, I had a speaking event in Huntley, Illinois, the other day. 85 Sox fans were there. They were all at American Legion. And, you know, and I like to add humor into everything because you got to. And somebody goes, what is your favorite accomplishment? And I said, you know, I said, I'm glad you asked because I just bought a big ass pie, a key lime pie from Costco's and I ate it in a day and a half, (laughs) you know, and everybody was at ease. Yeah. You know, and I had fun with it. And uh, like I said, I've made some great friends. Uh, you know, I've never been too big of a cigar guy. My dad was a lucky strike, three packs a day, had cancer, had emphysema. But it's a unique group of people where I can have a cigar and a beer and sit there and relax because I work hard all the time. So how long ago did you get into cigars? Uh, there were some, you know, so I've been out of the game uh, since 91. You know, I've always had a cigar, you know, with my buddies or something like this and didn't have an appreciation for it. It was kind of an obligation when you go golfing or something like this, but it's, I work hard every day. No, I'll never let anybody outwork me. I'd rather die of a heart attack. If you saw what I did today, I hauled by hand, uh, softball size boulders, two and a half tons a day, picked them up, power washed them, put them in a wheelbarrow and drove them back a hundred feet in my property. I'm going to build a fire pit with them Yeah, on the hottest day of the year. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I was soaking wet, and you know, I said, "Well, I'm going to come over here and visit my friends and have a cigar." Right on. So, yeah, that's uh, you mentioned uh, when when we met briefly before that uh, I didn't have the the beard and the hair and whatnot. That was uh, pretty soon after I shaved my head. That's I, I get one haircut a year, <laughs> and the past two years it's actually been here. Um, but I I raise money for St. Baldrick's every year. And uh, that's the only haircut I get is I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have a ridiculous afro uh, by uh, by November. Usually uh, I cut it off somewhere around March, April. Uh, but uh, towards the end, like the last couple of weeks, I always dye my hair, whatever color, whoever donates the most gets to choose. So that's cool. Yeah. St. Baldrick is a great organization. Yeah. And uh, I do TV work. So with my silver hair, silver white hair, 
it looks like I'm almost bald on TV anyway. Uh, so I don't get my hair cut. They, they understand. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're doing yeah. community relations, you got to put on a suit. It's a little different. I'm not a bald-headed kind of guy. Yeah. I ride a motorcycle. I like my hair on there. It keeps my scalp from getting sunburned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. I started, let's see, this year This year was my 11th year, but uh, which before that, like, I've always had my head shaved because I've always hated my hair. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, that's so you got your hair. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I've had the same receding hairline for about twenty years. So, um, yeah, all my friends, former teammates, they go, God, "Look at your hair's all white." Then I'm looking at them; they ain't got a drop of head hair. <laughs> and they say, "Well, I'd, I'd rather have some white hair than no hair." Yeah, yeah. But um, let's see. How long were you in the MLB? Uh, I played ten years in the big leagues. Yeah, started with the Dodgers, out of baseball. Then I sent with the White Sox. I went to uh, got traded to the Yankees for a couple of years. Uh, the next year, I was a, after that, I was a free agent. Went to Cleveland for a year. Came back to the White Sox. Got traded to the Orioles and came back to the White Sox for the third time. Yeah, and you you ended up staying here in the Midwest. Well, yeah, I'm I'm living in Illinois now, but I grew up, I lived in Illinois. I mean Indiana, except for the last twelve years. So I'm closer to Midway, closer to O'Hare, closer to 355, where. I can get and go to all my appearances. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I stay busy. So you've, you've never wanted to move out of the uh, out of the uh, Chicago land area. You know, I, I've been all over the world. You know, and Dorothy from Kansas banged her shoes. There's no place like home. There really isn't. Yeah. You know, and you get accustomed to it. Uh, local boy does good. I was a Cubs fan. I, I watched. You know, Billy Williams and Ernie Banks. They were my friends, uh, business partners. It's. Every team wants to win. Yeah. You know, there's there's a jerk on every team. You know, everybody knows that. There's a jerk everywhere in life. But uh, I played hard. Uh, I played injury-prone my entire career. And I'm paying for it now. But uh, the respect that I got from my teammates going, Ronnie played – or they call me Kitty. He goes, he played hurt. No matter what it was, he'd go out there and play. And that's a great honor when your friends can say that. Oh, yeah. So um, – now, being a Chicago White Sox player, and you know what what is the rivalry like when you're actually on the team compared to most of the fan reactions? You know, Cubs versus Sox. Well, you got the Cubs weekend. You know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. Uh, we used to have one game a year with them. Yeah, the Windy playing. City now Classic. They, you know, they didn't mean anything. Uh, Cubs fans hate the Sox fans, vice versa. It didn't matter. Yeah. You know, I, I like my Chicago teams. Uh, Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace are good friends of mine. You know, we were in a minor leagues playing against each other. Nobody had any money when you're in the minor leagues. Yeah. So we'd go out there and battle. After the game, we'd buy a pizza, a pitcher of beer, and shoot the shit. And the next day, go play each other again and yeah. do the same thing over. And we'd all chip in five, seven dollars uh, <laughs> just to get food. Yeah. See, that's, I'm, I'm in the in the area that I I don't care about the rivalry. Like the rivalry means nothing to me because uh, you know what the Sox do doesn't matter as far as the Cubs making the playoffs or anything like that. You know what if if they end up in the World Series together, obviously I'm going to give a shit. Yeah, that'd be uh, pretty cool <laughs> if that ever happened. But yeah, you know I tell all my friends now in this Cubs Sox series, you got to go to the park and see all the Cubs and the Sox women out each other in the stands. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, they're 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 proud to show off their stuff out there. It is entertaining because all the coppers wear sunglasses this weekend. You know, because there's something happening all the time out yeah. there. But White Sox are doing great this year. Cubs just depleted their uh, their uh, their roster. But you know, and I learned this from George Steinbrenner years ago. If he traded you, he can always get you back. Yeah. And there's a good chance one or two of those guys might come back into Chicago. Yeah, that's possible. But right. they're free agents. Yeah. And you know, let them go out there and uh, you know see what's going to happen. And like I said, if they want to come back to Chicago and the offer is good, they'll come back. Yeah. So, like as as players, the rivalry doesn't really transcend. No, like, you, know. you know the ballparks, Wrigley Field, it sucks. I yeah, mean, it's it's just it's a bad field. I mean, the locker rooms are hideous. Uh, you're walking through almost like underground caverns to get catwalks to get to the stadium. Yeah, but it's still a game. But it, uh, now, how do you, so that, I, that that's another argument? You know, as far as Wrigley Field goes, you know, is it. Is it better to have the nostalgia, or is it better to have an updated uh, field? Well, every other stadium's updated. Yeah. Why not Wrigley? So Wrigley's yeah. did some great modifications on there to make it good. But as a visitor, nobody liked going in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just it's just a game. You're hitting a baseball, catching it, throwing it. You know, that's it. So what would uh, what would be your your favorite ballpark to to play at? Uh, Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Well, you know, as in a. White Sox, uh, that's such an aura there. Babe Ruth and all these guys, Mickey Mantle, DiMaggio, they all played there. And I got to meet them all. Yeah. You know, here's a, I'm just a kid, you know, and <laughs> you get to meet these guys. It's pretty doggone cool. Then you go out there and play. So I got traded to the Yankees because I hit a home run against the Yankees pretty much every series, one or two home runs. <laughs> and George says, well, if he's going to beat us all the time, I might as well get him over here. And that's yeah. how it happened. Yeah. Exactly how it happened. That, that, that's pretty awesome. So – uh, what what was your best takeaway from your career? Uh, I think uh, the camaraderie and the friendships that I have with other players. You know, everybody knows that if me and somebody were fighting for a position, I'd break their leg, even if he's my best friend. Yeah. You, know, you gotta you gotta play competitive like that. Uh, I just wish I would have stayed healthy because I had pretty decent numbers. Uh, home runs per at bat, but you know, I come back from a broken neck, shattered shoulder, hit, broken kneecap. You know, two discs taken on my lower back. And I still went out there to try to play. Yeah. And there's days I can't even walk. But, you know, when the bell rings, you go out there and play. Yeah. And you compete at the highest level you can. Yeah. I mean, nobody could argue with that. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess uh, we get back to the event. Um, you sticking around much longer? Or? I am. We're just for a little bit out here. Maybe go eat dinner or something like that. But right. uh, it's great chatting with you. And, Likewise. Uh, I appreciate it's it. It's a lot of fun, but ronkittle.com. And I got ronkittlecharities.org or two locations. where, I, And I sell cigars, Nick Cigars, on my website for my charity. You know, they're autographed boxes by Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, they're cool. Nice. I mean, I, I'm not raping anybody for the cost i mean it just goes to charity yeah you know and it's nice to give that uh potential check to these uh you know organizations that need the money gee so as far as that goes do you have to have a uh tobacco like retailer's license to do that i was going to do that i decided not to so i have like uh 22 humidors at my house (laughs) yeah you know and i have a lot of friends who buy me things uh, or i buy them you know i'm sitting there looking at this stack of perdomos over here uh, and two of my friends, they buy boxes for me, fill up my humidors. Yeah. I mean, I got I got as many cigars at my house as they have in this, this whole store. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's good. And uh, one of my friends came over today, and I turned him on to Perdomo's a while back. He comes over. We 
shoot the breeze. And uh, he came in here today and bought two boxes of cigars and got them autographed by myself and Nick. And uh, But that's what it's all about. You, you teach the culture of the cigar. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, you know, my logic is this. All cigars are probably pretty good. I mean, there's some that are a little bit more potent than others, but when you when you have five friends there, and you're all smoking a cigar, and you're having a good time, it's a great cigar. Yeah. You know, if you don't like the other four guys with you, uh, it's a bad cigar. Yep. That's how life is. Or or you use it to escape the four guys. Yeah. You know, that's that, that's another <laughs> way to look good. at well, it. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. No, oh, absolutely, I appreciate it. Yep. So, all right, thank you. Thanks. All right, there you have it. Nick Perdomo and Ron Kittle. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And until next time, check out theherfcast.com. Tell your friends that you think that would enjoy the show. Share it, whatever. Um, Yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye.